Hi, I'm Susan Weisbauer, co-author of The Well-Trained Mind. And I'm Susanna Jarrett, editor at The Well-Trained Mind Press. And we're talking about education for all parents and for all children in all sorts of settings. For the past few episodes, we've been discussing various topics about classical education. And I've seen that a lot of parents who use the classical method very happily through the younger years often start to get nervous around the beginning of high school about... Well, technically, mm-hmm. Susanna, all parents get nervous about the beginning of high school, whether yeah. they're educating classically <laughs> or not. That's fair. That's fair. But specifically with classical education, will this method take my child through high school, prepare them for a college education if they're college bound? Will not going with a more traditional high school course load hurt their chances of getting into college? And how can I make a classical education align with college entrance requirements? Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about this today. We're going to address those concerns as we talk specifically about high school education for your college bound students. And and I feel like maybe we should actually start out with a disclaimer here, Mm -hmm. a disclaimer or warning, little tiny piece of advice that I always tell parents um, as they're looking at colleges. And that is there are so many good colleges In the Mm -hmm. United States of America, there are so many. So I live in Virginia and very early on, I told my kids, uh, you can only go to a college that I can afford. So state college or another private school with a scholarship, but it's got to have to be one of those two. And as we started looking around, I realized in Virginia, we have 10 at least amazing public universities. Yeah, probably twice that many small private schools that offer a great education. So I would say that my number one thing as we start talking about applying to college is Mm -hmm. do not get stuck on any particular school. Do not do Mm -hmm. it. Not even a handful of particular schools. Be willing to look widely at all of your different options because some kids are going to be better off at a small school with personalized attention. Some kids are going to be better off with a larger school where there's lots of opportunities. Depends on the kid. Depends on your financial situation. But the worst Mm -hmm. thing you can do as you're preparing for high school with your homeschooled student is to get stuck on them getting into any particular school because... We're going to give you lots of great advice. Right, Susanna? Right. Yes, <laughs> yes we got lots of great stuff. I believe stuff. so. Lots, lots of great of good stuff, stuff planned for you. Yeah, yeah. But there is nothing that we can tell you that's going to, quote unquote, guarantee admission to any particular school. And that's just because you don't know what they're looking for. Their standards change year to year. It depends right. on everybody else that's applying. Just don't get stuck. So yes. I just wanted to I, say that. I absolutely agree. And I will say I was that student in high school who was really determined to get into a quote unquote good university. Mm. And the older I got and looking back on my college experience, I realized finding the right program for me, finding the right spot at my university was more important than getting into the most prestigious university I could get into. And that really impacted my education that I actually switched universities halfway through, but at this, at the slightly less prestigious school I ended at finding the right people, finding the right program was so much more beneficial to me than being at the the fanciest college I could get into. Well, and from my experience, um, my undergraduate degree is from a really terrible college. I'm not even not be named the college (laughs) that shall not be named. It's just really bad. Um, There were reasons why I went there and I graduated without debt. 
uh, and got into a great master's program. So those were important things. But first of all, it was a terrible education. Second, it was a terrible experience. Third, I'm embarrassed enough about it to where I don't even put it on my resume anymore. Right. And here's what you need to remember. That doesn't seem to have affected my life in a negative way at all. I've gotten into every graduate program I applied to. I have a great life. Mm -hmm. I have a great career. Mm -hmm. Almost nobody ever asks me where I went to college. So just, you know, keep those things in mind. Yeah. That's, that's very fair. So before we begin talking about classical education in the high school years, I think we mm-hmm. might have to start with the rhetoric stage. Indeed. The classical method is split into grammar, logic, and rhetoric stages. The rhetoric stage aligns largely with the high school years. But can you tell us a little bit more about what we're looking for with the classical method rhetoric stage education? Sure. Well, there are a couple of ways in which the rhetoric stage doesn't really line up with what you would think of as a sort of like a traditional American four-year high school program. So the rhetoric stage has these two important characteristics. And and if you haven't heard uh, our earlier podcast in this series about what is classical education, you might want to go back and have a listen. But the rhetoric stage is characterized by this increasing focus on learning how to write and speak with force and originality. So the high school subjects are continually asking the student to look at the information, synthesize it, and develop an opinion about it. Now, that's all great. That works out just fine for your standard, you know, four-year high school progression. But also in the rhetoric stage, students are encouraged to develop a specialization. That is to spend more time and energy on things that they're passionate about and on subjects that they just doesn't really light their fire. Doing, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to say the bare minimum, because bare mm-hmm. minimum sounds like you're basically not doing it, but doing less in those areas Mm -hmm. where they're not interested. So if they're very STEM oriented, then maybe not spending 20 hours a week doing a combined history and great books course. If they're very Mm -hmm. humanities oriented, maybe not doing math past algebra two even in order to give themselves space to really focus on what they love. Now, the problem with that is that a lot of rhetoric from college admissions officers emphasizes that kids should do as much as possible in every single field of study in order Mm -hmm. to be competitive with college admissions. And that kind of runs up against this particular goal of classical education, which is giving yourself space to develop a specialty. And, you know, those of you who are grownups know this. The only way you can develop space is by not doing something else. Right. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit brave with classical Mm -hmm. education in high school. You have to have the courage to allow your student to not do pre-calculus and trigonometry if that's Mm -hmm. just not their jam so that they have space to learn Gaelic, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from personal experience here. What you should remember is that colleges see I'm going to say hundreds of thousands of applications from what we would call, quote unquote, well-rounded students Mm -hmm. who have done four advanced years in every subject. Right. And they start to look pretty indistinguishable from each other. Pretty much the same. And there are so many great colleges out there that are looking for students who have a passion because what Mm -hmm. they want from their freshman class is a kid who's going to come on and be like, I am going to organize an ecological theater company. Right. Right. Because that's what Mm -hmm. makes that's what makes the university interesting. And those kids are the ones who've been allowed to have a little bit of space. So that kid that comes on and wants to organize an ecological theater company probably didn't get past algebra, two. I know I'm stereotyping. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. But that, but that's so true that, you know, you can get caught up in this idea of, I want my, my student to do everything. I want it to be very traditional, but I do think that colleges, I mean, they, they can't help it. A college admission officer can't help but be surprised and interested in a student that's a little bit different. And I heard so much when I was in high school, there were particular colleges I would read online and they'd say, oh, they're anti-homeschooling, shouldn't even try. And then I applied and had no issues. I had very positive experiences. So if you can tune out the chatter and allow your students to become really interesting individuals, which is what the rhetoric stage is all about, it's going to benefit them in the long run, even with college admissions, I think it ends up being an advantage for them. I couldn't agree more. And on that topic, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just would like to say something about how, quote unquote, elite universities get the title, quote unquote, elite. Elite has a single meaning. It means that they only admit a tiny percentage of the students who apply. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. So if you're an elite school, the way that you maintain your eliteness is you encourage all sorts of students to apply, even if you know you're not going to admit them. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. to get those numbers up. You have to get all of those applications in in order to keep the title of elite. So a lot of the advice about, you know, well, the students got to do AP courses in every single subject in order to even have a chance of getting into college is actually propaganda put out Mm -hmm. by these quote unquote elite universities. Interesting. Because it looks good for them if they can reject a student with a 4.5 grade average and all APs. It helps Mm, them. Yeah. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the student. It doesn't help the parent. So these are all things to keep in mind. The classical educator always has their eye on this overall goal, which is to turn out an adult. Right. And in a lot of ways, college is an extension. Not in a lot of ways it is. College should be an extension of the rhetoric stage. Right. Where the student, you know, high school is just really the beginning of the rhetoric stage. As they move on into college, they can continue to develop these specialties. They can continue to pick up the things that they didn't do in high school. So you don't want to approach the high school years with this focus of we've got to do as much as possible because senior year is the end, which I think sometimes we get stuck in. Right. A classical education is a wonderful foundation for a college or university education. And I think the short answer to the, the big looming question is that, yes, you can get into the right college for you yeah. if you continue your classical education through high school. But one of the things we want to talk about today are some things to keep in mind as you're charting that course through high school. And we have seven tips for just managing that and making sure you're making that process as easy um, for yourself as possible. I was so, going to be really impressed mm-hmm. that we had seven tips because it's like so biblical, but we actually have eight. Oh, we have eight. We added one. I was going to say, yeah, seven. <laughs> Lucky number seven. Okay. Whoops. Uh, that's, that's great, though. That's great, though. So We have seven and a bonus tip. Let's let's go. Oh, oh I like that. Seven plus. Um, All right. Well, so, start, yeah. start with number one, Susanna. All right. So our first tip is to identify a range of potential colleges for your student, working with them, of course, on this. Check in with them. Once you once your student kind of knows what their specialty is, what's what they're interested in or some potential things they're interested in, they can start reaching out to schools and looking at what are their specific requirements for homeschool students, which can sometimes differ slightly than the average student. You can reach out and find out what their requirements are as far as transcript, which we'll talk about a little bit more 
in a minute, but it's, it's not too late to do it if you haven't done it already, but it's a great foundation for the rhetoric years to know what the goal is and kind of look at the range there and know how to chart that course from there. Absolutely agree. And, you know, one of the, um, we, we should take advantages of the pandemic whenever we can find them. One of the advantages of the pandemic is that homeschooling for, you know, for three years or so became a lot more common. So there are many right. more colleges that now have actual written requirements for here's how you submit your homeschool information. So that kind of has actually opened up the doors a little bit for homeschoolers, right. which is a good thing. Now, what you're going to get from each college is probably going to differ slightly, which is why we're recommending that you look now. But there are going to be some things that are standard across the board. So we're going to start with something really exciting, which is getting credits on a transcript. Woohoo! Woohoo! So first, let's start. Uh, oh, oh, this would actually be a good place to say that because I get this a lot from parents, if the kid's in elementary school or middle school, what sort of records do I have to keep in case the kid wants to transfer back into a public or private mm-hmm. school? And I always say, you don't have to keep any records at all. Right. You know, elementary school and middle school, you don't have to keep a transcript or any sort of list of what they've done because if they transfer back into a public or private school, it's going to be through testing. Public and Mm -hmm. private schools always test their incoming students because they're coming from all over the place. If they're not homeschooled, they're from a school in a different state, a different, they have no idea what they've learned. So you don't really have to worry about that for elementary and middle school. For high school, you actually do. So we're going to put some of this information in our show notes so that you can refer to it. But Mm -hmm. here's what you have to keep in mind. Typically, A student has to fulfill a number of what are called credits in order to graduate from high school. And this is important to keep in mind. One credit of high school equals 120 hours of work, 120 hours of work. You need to keep that in mind because typically homeschool students, particularly those who are doing classical methods, are putting a lot more than 120 hours into their Mm -hmm. literature, into their, their science and lab, into their language arts. Um, I encourage every student and parent at the beginning of the high school years to get into the habit of keeping sort of a just a little journal of when I started working and when I stopped working just to keep an eye on how many mm-hmm. hours per year the student is spending on a subject. Um, you know, you may find that they're only spending like 90 hours, in which case you need to stop and think about should I really, you know, give a high school credit for this? Right. I think it's a lot more typical of homeschooled kids, particularly those in a classical curriculum, that they're spending more than 120 hours. Mm-hmm. And you don't want that time to just disappear, right? Yeah. So so if the kid is spending 160, 180 hours on a subject, you can give them a credit and a half or an honors credit. You can note that mm-hmm. somehow. So my number one tip as we start talking about transcripts is just keep an eye on how much actual physical time. Is physical time an actual thing? You know what I mean. Right, right. It's a nice (laughs) gauge to have. We're not going to do astrophysics with space time and if it's physical, but. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. All right. So uh, so let's keep that 120 hours equals one credit in mind. Typically, in order to graduate, a student would do four credits of language arts and language arts is, you know, language related stuff, reading, grammar, composition. That's usually a really easy one to hit. Two years of mathematics, although in some states it's three. Two to three credits in science, one of which should be a lab, one credit in American history, one credit in American government, two in phys ed, and then eight electives. Now, that's that's to finish high school. Typically, if you're looking at a college prep track, what happens is that out of those eight electives, 
more of them are going to get moved into what are considered the more academic areas. So you're still going to do four years of four credits in language arts, but instead of two credits in mathematics, you're going to look for three to four. In science, you're going to look at three to four instead of two to three, and you're going to do maybe an additional lab course. You've still got to do American history and American government, um, but also world history. They want to see a world history course, usually. Phys ed is two because, again, nobody really cares about phys ed. And then two to four years of a foreign language. So you're still going to have some elective space. And what's going to happen is that a kid who's STEM-oriented is going to end up with more than three or four credits in science. So those will be electives. And a kid who's humanities-oriented is going to end up with more history and more language arts. But the thing to keep in mind is that a college prep track just does a little bit more in each one of those areas typically speaking. Gotcha. And, at, and at the end of at the end of this, we'll come back and talk more specifically about where to put particular courses. Right. How to organize it. And also on, in the show notes, I'll link from our website. We have a few different resources. We have recommendations for online tools for building a transcript. We have a sample high school transcript you can look at. And we have an article by Susan about how to assign high school credit hours. So we'll have those all linked in the show notes um, if you're looking for more detail. So the transcript itself, don't get too hung up on the word transcript. All a transcript is, is a form that on which you can put the subject studied, how many years it was studied, how many units of credit the student got, final grades. Usually they want to see that per semester. And the reason for that is that in the in the senior year, you're usually finishing your applications before the senior year is over. So you have to get in the habit of recording mid-year grades so that they can look and see that the student is on track during their senior year because the final grades won't come out until after applications are finished. There's usually room for achievement test scores, usually a place to put extracurricular activities. So all you have to do, and I did this right before we started taping, Susanna, is Mm -hmm. go to Google and search high school transcript form. And you will come up with a dozen free sites where you can generate this. It's just really not that big a deal. Um, It sounds a lot scarier than it is. Yes. Yes, indeed it does. (laughs) So that's all. That's all that that is. Awesome. Yeah. So the transcript is... I'm trying to demystify the transcript a little bit. Mm -hmm. Here's what you have to remember. And I want to come back in a minute here and talk about how you document all that specialty stuff that the Mm -hmm. student does, all that stuff that doesn't necessarily fit onto a transcript and how you explain to the college admissions officer how unique and wonderful your student is. You have to remember that the transcript for the admissions officers themselves is not the main thing they're going to be looking at. In terms of admission, because when you are a homeschooled student and the officer who's reading your file sees that you're a homeschooled student, they know that your mom put the grades on there. Right. They're perfectly aware of that. And they're going to spend more time looking at your supporting materials, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But when they decide to admit you, the transcript has to go to the financial aid office because Any university that disperses any sort of financial aid has to show to the state that they are dispersing that aid to a student who has graduated from high school. So the transcript goes to the financial aid office so that you can get your Pell Grant or your college scholarship or whatever Mm -hmm. is being offered. Without that transcript form, usually the financial aid office can't give you money and you want as much money as they'll give you. Right. So what the transcript is doing is proving that essentially you graduated from high school. Mm. The place to explain how great your student was is actually in the supporting materials that you're going to you're going to offer there. And I'm just going to list a few things that you could list. 
uh, in your portfolio that you would attach along with your admissions essay. And I would say the number one thing for a classically educated student would be a brief description of any special area of expertise mm-hmm. that they have. Um, and I think you had you have a story about this, I think, Susanna. Yeah, well, just an example of how with the flexibility of homeschooling in a classical education, it gives you a few special opportunities. So, for example, when I was in high school, um, I had a crazy dream that came upon me in 11th grade where all of a sudden, despite the fact that I was always a humanities person and always loved history and hated math, I discovered (laughs) astronomy and astrophysics. And I was like, I think I might want to study astrophysics in college. And is that even possible for me? And so I found a program I was interested in at UNC Chapel Hill and I emailed a professor there and I got the nicest email back from him with, I I basically said, hi, I'm homeschooled. I hate math. Can I still study astrophysics with you guys? (laughs) And, um, And he sent me a lovely email just explaining, you know, here are the things we'd be looking for from your high school courses if you want to be competitive. And um, it gave me it just gave me a, a course to understand, you know, what it would take. And it was really helpful. I still ended up studying history, but I love astrophysics on the side. It was just nice to have that information. And it's something I would really encourage students to do is to reach out to colleges and programs they're interested in within their specialty or, or even something they're thinking about specializing. I ended up changing my mind, but even the things that they're thinking about and getting that expert advice. Well, and this is such a great point, Susanna. This mm-hmm. ought to be for a classically educated student. This this specialization should be the strongest point of their application. Right. 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 Here's something I'm interested in. Here's how I've done it. I've reached out to these experts in the field. Mm-hmm. That's always very impressive because a lot of high school students don't have any idea how to reach out to experts in the field. Right. You know, if you're the parent sort of shepherding the child through this, then mm-hmm. dismiss from your mind the inevitable question, which is, yes, but is this really what they're going to end up studying? Right. As Susanna's story illustrates, Probably not. I mean, everybody changes their major in their sophomore year. Sometimes I changed my major in my sophomore year five times. I was a math major for like 10 days. Oh, wow. Impressive. I was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so uh, don't worry too much about that. When a student develops an expertise in some area, Mm -hmm. a specialty, they are developing skills that will then help them turn and develop another specialty. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's not the, the set of tools that you use when you get good at something don't go right. away when you change fields. Right. If I can quickly add, my sister and I did National History Day together my senior, her junior year. We had such a great experience with it. I ended up studying history moving forward. We made a documentary. We interviewed, um, oh, we interviewed Holocaust survivors. We interviewed professors from our area. We learned so much about video editing. I mean, we, we just dove into this project and we, we ended up, we wanted to find, we were talking about passive acceptance versus peaceful resistance during in Nazi Germany. We ended up finding a young, uh, a woman, an old woman then, but a young woman in that time who lived in our neighborhood, who'd been in the Hitler youth, who was willing to talk to us about that experience. I mean, it was just an insane project. We spent like two years on it and we loved it. And my sister is now in She's the founder of a startup in Silicon Valley, but she still sees that project as like the catalyst for her academic life. Because even though it was totally about history and not about what she's doing now, which is computer science and ed tech and all this stuff, just the drive that she discovered during that time pushed her into being interested in so many things that led to where she is today. And that that is that is the perfect illustration of what we're saying right. here. Yeah. So this this can happen. Um 
Okay, so brief description of any special area of expertise. I'm going to list five more things that you could include in a portfolio. And remember, these are things that are that are going along with the transcript to explain how your classical education in high school was wonderful. Um, and you, you would not include all of these, okay? So I'm going to list them all, and then I'm going to give you a couple of caveats. So, um, so second thing, a narrative description of the high school studies written by the student. Mm. Here's what I did every year. Here's the part that I had in selecting it. Now, this would be, of course, if your student was, you know, engaged enough to, to help choose the courses. For, this is for a student right. who was really personally invested in the high school experience. So a narrative description of the high school studies written by the student. A reading list, third, of all significant books read. Something to just keep a record of as they go. A lot mm -hmm. of students, believe it or not, don't read. So mm -hmm. a list of here are the books that I read can be really impressive. Um, fourth, at least one writing sample. So this would not be the essay that you write that the college assigns to you, but just like a three to five page excerpt from a paper that they did, which was particularly profiles their skills mm -hmm. and their voice. Fifth, a description of any academic contests and honors that they might have completed, they might have received. And then finally, descriptions of any apprenticeships, internships, or interesting work experiences. And we've just got to say here that doesn't mean retail jobs or fast food jobs, nothing wrong with those. But these would be work experiences that really somehow engage the student's interest. So you can add these things to your college application. So here are my three caveats for you. Number one, not all of them. Okay, pick and choose the one that best mm -hmm. profiles your student. Number two, make sure that you don't send more than I would say 10 pages, and that's a lot, maybe eight pages of supporting material because the poor college admissions officer has got to plow through all of this. Right. And then number three, just make sure that it's as readable as possible, like put on the top mm -hmm. of each page, here's what it is, double mm -hmm. space, nice margins so that the poor officer who's read 3,000 applications before he got to yours doesn't want to rip his eyeballs out. Right. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So portfolio. And then we're going to come back again to this at the end of the episode here. But mm -hmm. the portfolio is the place where you explain what was different about mm -hmm. your kid's high school study. So, for example, if your high school student did a combined great books and history course, which we describe in the well-trained mind, you don't want to put on the transcript great books and history two credits. Because that's not going to make it clear to the officer that they've got that world history credit and they've got that language arts credit. What you're going to put on the transcript is language arts, world literature, one credit. History, world history, one credit. And then in your portfolio, in that like narrative description of the courses is where you're going to say, we did our literature and history together as part of a combined course. Describe, you know, what you read and how you did it. Remember that that transcript is to reassure them. And the portfolio is to impress them. So if you can keep those awesome. things in mind, you'll be all right. Awesome. And we'll go through quickly at the end, a subject by subject review of how, what that might look like using a classical method and how to align that with the transcript. And we'll be right back. The Well-Trained Mind Academy, founded by Susan Weisbauer, offers live online instruction in classical teaching methods that fit your students' educational plan. Our instructors are highly qualified in their fields and have years of experience in teaching, tutoring, and homeschooling. 
We work closely with students, parents, and instructors to create an educational environment that fits the needs of each family. From calculus to Japanese to essay writing to medieval history, the Well-Trained Mind Academy offers 150 courses for grades 5 through 12. Visit WTMAcademy.com to learn more. We have a few more practical tips we want to touch before we get there. And I think mm -hmm. our next one is to make sure that your student has practiced receiving instruction in different ways. Yeah. So for example, if you are a homeschooler and you've spent a lot of time, you know, reading living books and doing narrations and dictations and all these wonderful things, as your student gets into maybe even middle school, having them practice taking courses online, taking correspondence courses, a lot of community colleges, depending on the state, may offer free or reduced cost college, community college classes, independent study, all of these things. It's preparing your student for college by having different teachers than you. And high school is really the perfect time to do this because you're going to start getting to a point where your high schooler might be advancing to a level that you're either not qualified or just not comfortable teaching. You know, it's, it's one thing to teach middle school math, but it's another thing to go back to algebra two or calculus and try to teach that um, when you haven't done it in so long or it wasn't ever really your thing. So it's a great time to, to branch out and invest in letting your student learn from others. And I always tell parents one of the great one of the great reasons to do this, to make sure that in high school your student has sort of a whole array of different ways in which they're taking their courses is because when they get into college and I, I taught freshmen for mm -hmm. 18 years at the College of Women Mary in Virginia. Um, they are often completely overwhelmed by the fact that they've got five different professors with five mm -hmm. different sets of deadlines and mm -hmm. none of the professors care about what the other professors are doing. So your freshmen right. come up to you and say, can you please delay my due date for this paper? Cause I've got three other papers due that same day. And to which you kind of have to say, no, <laughs> right. <laughs> Can't really do that. So Giving them the experience in high school of having different professors who aren't talking to each other, um, right. uh, providing a lot of different due dates and exam dates, and them having to take that in, synthesize it, and plan for it is one of the best things that you can do as they get ready for college. Yeah. And a, and a bonus to that is I noticed, at least for myself, going into the high school years, I was craving interaction with other students mm. and talking about ideas with people outside of my family because I was starting to think about, you know, these are my parents' politics. This is my parents' religion. What part of that is me? What part of, you know, I was just very exploratory and the idea of interacting with different teachers and students from around the world, which you can do with an online course, which is really special, um, really appealed to me. Now, I do have a couple of things to say about online education, if I may. Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously, I am not completely unbiased because I, I own an, an online academy, Well-Trained Mind Academy. Right. But there is a lot of when when my kids were coming up through high school, the older two in particular actually did quote unquote correspondence courses, which I don't mm -hmm. even know if those exist anymore. But the younger two were able to take online classes. And boy, did the quality vary. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found that there are a lot of there are a lot of places that build themselves as online education, which basically mm -hmm. are they're sort of teach yourself. Yeah. And you might get a grade from a teacher at the end of the semester, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of recorded 
lectures that you're supposed to listen to and then assignments that you're supposed to complete online with very little interaction. So if I were going to pay for online mm -hmm. education, I would look for live instruction, mm -hmm. not taped instruction, interaction with the teacher, the ability to ask questions during the class and the ability to contact the teacher reasonably outside of class with questions mm -hmm. and personalized grading so that there's actually feedback on the assignments, not just a grade or a number, actual comments on the assignments. So those are the, th I'm going to repeat those again because I think they're important. Live instruction, interaction with the teacher, personalized feedback on assignments. If you mm -hmm. don't get those three, I wouldn't pay for the online instruction. Yeah. I'd look at community college instead or asking if you can take a class at a local high school or private mm -hmm. school. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it is something, especially with the online component where you often get what you pay for and have to, if it's something you're interested in, prepare for to invest in, because a lot of those free courses do not include any type of feedback from an instructor. I did a few like online college courses, which I enjoyed, but it wouldn't really qualify as it was pretty much the same as homeschooling. I had the materials provided online and I just went through them. Yeah. So, ooh, the next thing is tests. Tests. I know you have feelings about tests. I have feelings about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, standardized testing. Okay. So interrupt me at any point, Susanna, if I am on my yeah. soapbox for too long. So standardized testing. So the first thing to sort of distinguish in your mind is that there are two kinds of standardized testing for high school students. The first is what I would call admissions testing. And that is tests that a college gives to rank your student against other students who are applying. Mm -hmm. It's completely a Hunger Games kind of thing. And then the second is achievement testing, which shows that your student has reached a certain level in any particular subject which for homeschool students can be a really important thing to do. So let's mm -hmm. pull those apart from a minute for a minute and let's start out with admissions testing. Admissions testing, two big ones, SAT, ACT. Mm -hmm. SAT and the ACT are supposed to predict how well the student will do in college. Right. This has been repeatedly proven to be untrue. In addition, Many colleges post-pandemic, and, and I don't know when you're going to be listening to this podcast, so just put a big asterisk around everything I'm about to say, because that mm -hmm. this is when we're taping in the summer of 2023, and this landscape keeps changing. Sometimes right. week by week, it keeps changing. But at the moment, many, many more schools are going admissions test optional. Right. I think this is a super healthy development. Again, mm -hmm. It has not been shown that these tests actually do predict college success. All of these tests have certain cultural biases, which allow students of certain economic status and race to automatically gain points over students who do not have that same background. Um, mm -hmm. And these tests are a huge moneymaker for the organizations mm -hmm. that provide them. So I'm a massive skeptic when it comes to the usefulness of admissions test. Can I add one little caveat there, which is that if you're looking at a school that still uses what may very soon be these outdated tests. Mm -hmm. um, one advantage you have as a homeschooler is that what I found is that I took the SAT, not the ACT, but the SAT really tracks how good you are at taking the SAT. That's exactly and what it does. What you can do as a homeschool student, if you're interested in getting a good SAT score, is take a lot of practice tests. And that's going to help you so much because 
just going through a regular college course and taking the SAT, I feel like you're not going to get the best score. But if you, if that's your goal, just take a lot of practice tests, take it multiple times. Your score will get better every time. Cause that's really all that it gauges is how good you are at taking the SAT. There's an internal logic to the questions that's consistent. If you take a lot of practice test, you can kind of figure it out. Well, that's the calculus that you have to enter into when you're looking at these at, at these standardized tests. Right. It, it, I'm not telling you not to take them. Mm-hmm. If you test well, definitely mm-hmm. take them. But the best way to get good scores on any standardized test, and this is true for the ACT as well, is to study directly to the test. Right. I have had so many parents say to me, just to make sure my kid tests well, should we do Latin? Should we do logic? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you just get an, a Barron's SAT study prep right. and just study to the test. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with studying to the test. It's just that the time that you put into studying to the test could also go somewhere else more interesting. Right. So one of the reasons why at the top of the episode, we suggested that you look at all the colleges you might be interested in and see what their requirements are, is that mm-hmm. if you've got a list of 12 colleges that you might apply to and none of them require the SAT or ACT, I wouldn't do it, to be honest. Right. Now, if you've got three schools that don't require it and nine that do, well, then yes, probably you want to keep that door open. But right. again, only if only if you've got a student that isn't freaked out by standardized tests. You know, if you've right. got a kid that just absolutely freaks out at the sight of the bubble sheets. Actually, I think they're all online now. I'm showing my age there, Susanna. <laughs> I think anyway. there was still, I was still filling out bubble sheets and it wasn't that long ago. So I think, have uh, well, fast. I, I think the SAT only went all digital as of this year. So, okay. Anyway, just, just think about your options. Mm-hmm. If you do take the SAT, just a few things, take the time to study directly to the test. Mm-hmm. Plan on taking it in the fall of your senior year mm-hmm. because um, that allows you to retake it in January if you don't do well. For the ACT, I would consider taking it in the um, spring of the junior year because it's given fewer times and at fewer locations. Right. So if you need to retake it uh, in, in your senior year, you just want to give yourself space for that. And um if you're only going to take one, which I would highly suggest, the SAT is more widely is more widely accepted. So we'll put we'll put the links in our show notes. You can find out all about the the also these tests keep changing what they offer and what the sections are. So I'm not even going to tell you about right. them. You just need to go look at the most recent description. The SAT website is satsuite.collegeboard.org forward slash SAT. We'll put that in the notes. ACT is easier. It's just ACT.org. Now, this is also something which might get outdated quickly, but I'm going to say it. There's a third test which has been offered to students who are following a classical education, and that is the classical learning exam. Um, Mm -hmm. You can find out more about that at cltexam.com. Classical learning exam. You might expect me to be really excited about this test, which is offered as an alternative to the SAT and the ACT for classical educators. At the moment, and again, this may change quickly, Mm -hmm. I'm not. There is a real lack of transparency as to who is writing the questions, what their background is, and why those particular questions Mm -hmm. are on there. At the moment... Again, this is summer 2023. It looks like to me it's almost all either Christian or for-profit schools that are accepting it. 
Mm. Um, I'm not seeing much else. Could this change? It could. Could they become more transparent about their their formulation of questions and how those questions are graded? Yes, but at the moment, that is not the case. So I would not be inclined to take the time to study to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were going to study to a test, I would study to the SAT because it's just going to get you more. Mm-hmm reach more opportunity to use it right better bang for your buck Fair i guess enough. we could say so should we switch gears here and talk a little bit about the other kind of tests because i i have to say i love taking ap's in high school <laughs> because i felt like it was an opportunity for me to take a class and then say here's the test yes my mom and dad gave me an a but here's how i can back it up Yes. Achievement testing. So achievement testing means that you take an independent exam over topics that you've studied. And for homeschoolers, this can be incredibly valuable Mm -hmm. uh, because it, like you say, it validates Mm -hmm. the grade your mom gave you. That's always a good thing. So you've got, you got, there, there have been traditionally three different types of these achievement tests you can take. There were the SAT two subject tests. Mm -hmm. I took a bunch of those. They were super useful. They've been discontinued because they weren't profitable for the SAT people, which kind of kind of sums up the whole testing environment right there. Right. But anyway, no more SAT two subject tests. So what we're left with now are AP tests, advanced Mm -hmm. placement and CLEP tests, Mm -hmm. which are the college level examination program. Both of these have their pros and cons. Start with advanced placement. Advanced placement tests can be taken by anyone who is welcomed, who is willing to just self-certify that they have done deep study in the area. Mm-hmm. You can register for the SAT as a homeschooler for that, sorry, advanced placement as a homeschooler mm-hmm. and say, I studied this. Sometimes the school will give you a hard time about that. Uh, the AP people say, if that happens, please contact them. Mm-hmm. They want as many people as possible taking the AP tests. Guess why, Susanna? Oh, I wonder if it has something to do with money. <laughs> it might indeed. Um, so they want you to take it th- right. and pay the fee. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind about an advanced placement test. An advanced placement test is very what I would call course focused. Mm -hmm. That is, you can prepare for an AP test by following the syllabus for an AP course. You cannot prepare for an AP test by simply studying widely in the area. Right. Right. So it's very specific in terms of the topics that they're covering. So if you decide to study to the AP test, absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're just giving up a certain amount of flexibility. If your interests align with the syllabus, great, go you. But do be aware that if you're going to prepare for an AP test, you're putting yourself into sort of, you know, like a you're 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 choosing to to put on a certain straitjacket. Right. That's absolutely the case. And it can be an advantage if, if say, you're really interested in getting uh, AP credit. And by the way, those AP credits and in some cases, CLEP credits count as college credits later on. So um, they can. Many, We're going to talk about that. In right. A minute. They can. I think APs are more widely accepted than CLEP. But anyway, um, with the AP test as a homeschooler, if you do choose to go that route, say you're doing the AP American history test. You can no longer just study American history however you would want to do it. But if you take that syllabus and you study it as a homeschooler, you have a major advantage because I remember when I was studying it and my friends were in public school taking the class, they were spending a few hours in class doing stuff they didn't feel like was relevant to the test and then going home and doing four hours of homework and then studying for the test. Whereas my study was so much more streamlined. So you have a bit of an advantage as a homeschooler if that's a goal of yours. 
Yes, and that that is a really really good point. I, as you may have noticed, I have a little bit of a knee jerk reaction to all of these tests because right. I'm like, we're homeschooling. Why are you telling us what to do? Um, <laughs> right. But you know that could be your choice. Okay, so that's AP tests. CLEP college level examination program. That actually is more quote unquote general knowledge than the AP. So if you've mm-hmm. done just a little bit more of a free ranging self, you know, directed study, you can take the CLEP course just to see how you do. And if you get a right. great score here again, that validates your validates your your transcript grade that mm-hmm. your mom wrote in. But here's the thing to keep in mind with both of these. And this goes back to your point about college credit, Susanna. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a misapprehension about this. No university has to give you college credit for an AP or CLEP exam. Mm. That is totally up to the discretion of the university. Right. Sometimes you can get college credit for it. I hate to tell you this. Guess what? I'm going to tell you something about money. Sometimes a college will give you a college credit for a CLEP or AP score, but you still have to pay the tuition for the class that you're not taking. Oh, my. That's actually a pretty widespread practice. Well, if you think about the college, the college exists as a credit granting institution and they've got costs. So if you're going to get a credit, they're going to charge you for it. This seems like a bad deal to me to pay for a course that you didn't actually take. Right. (laughs) Right. Probably just be aware, because I've heard a lot of misinformed rhetoric about this, how you can go into college with all these CLEP and AP credits Mm -hmm. and go in as a junior. Mm -hmm. Well, not generally, no, that's not the case. That doesn't do the college any good, right? Right. What is more likely is that the college will let you skip uh, freshman Mm -hmm. orientation courses and go into a higher level, right? which can be incredibly valuable. Don't get me wrong. But just don't spend a lot of money on AP and CLEP tests thinking that you're going to get college credit for them because that is actually it has been less and less likely to happen. That's interesting. But yeah, I will say it is there's still an advantage. For example, let's say you love English and you take the English AP and then instead of going into English 101 as a freshman in college, you get to go to English the next level up and English 101 is going to be super boring for you because it's a review mm-hmm. of high school level English for the most part. And English, the higher level course, you get more freedom to choose and is going to be maybe more interesting for you if you are already interested. So I would, I always encourage people to take the APs. If they do APs, take it for the subjects they're already really, really interested in. And that way they can potentially level up when they get to college. Absolutely. Absolutely. So ooh, we've been talking for a long time. Susan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so before we we're going to do a quick wrap up with our subject uh, subject mm-hmm. by subject overview. But before we do that, let's just run through our, our last points here. Mm-hmm. So we've got make sure your student practice is using a checklist and a planner. Oh, yeah. It is. Um, when I was, this is one of my favorite parts about teaching in a Montessori school for a while. In middle school, they give students a checklist with all their work for two weeks. And then every day you start morning meeting with every student opens their planner. They review all the coming deadlines. They make their own plan for the day. And that allows them to start practicing those executive functioning skills of here's my plan for how to get something done earlier on. That is a huge, huge help for folks who are college bound. And I would say as a homeschool mom, I'll speak to all the homeschool moms. It's so easy, particularly if your college bound kid is your oldest and you've got a bunch of younger kids in the house. Um, it's so easy to just turn into the family brain mm-hmm. <laughs> and organize everything for everybody and tell them what to do. And you've got to give that high school kid a checklist and say, you figure it out. You organize mm-hmm. the day and be a 
tiny bit hard-hearted as in mm-hmm. you know if it gets to 10 p.m and they're like i still have all this work to do at yeah. some point you have to say well better stay up until you finish it then you know because right that's that's the that's the college conundrum right that's the college right. challenge is i didn't get everything done what do i do now right and that goes perfectly into our next point which is make sure your student practices meeting deadlines it's easy oh, as mom yes. to say okay well we'll make an exception but at a certain you can point do you, it tomorrow right you've got to lay down the law and help them see what the real world is like, which is you've got to be able to meet deadlines. Yep. So I would say, you know, at the beginning of high school, start accustoming, accustoming. Why can't I say that? Start getting them used to that. Um, Right. right, So that in, you know, ninth grade, you don't have to be so hard nosed about it. But when they say I'm not done my paper, say, okay, I'm going to give you another 24 hours. But next year, when you're getting ready, starting to really, you know, get into high school and get ready for college, we're, we're not going to be as flexible. And right. the, the closer you move to those junior and senior years, the less flexible you should be in right. terms of their deadlines. It's not doing them any favors to continually let them skate on these deadlines and have those be soft. Right. I mean, again, from my years of teaching freshmen as a professor, you get so exasperated when kid mm-hmm. after kid comes up to you and says, I had a cold. I had to go home. This happened. You know, by mm-hmm. the time the 15th kid comes up, you're like, I had a cold. Mm-hmm. I have a six month baby at home. Right. I did. I had to stay up until 2 a.m. grading your papers. You know, right. so just don't send them off to college with the sense that they can like shape deadlines to their own right. lives because that's just not real life. And and it is such a great preparation for college. I remember my college orientation. I, my parents weren't even there because I felt like I was in college. I was an adult now. Why would my parents be there? And my parents had done a pretty good job of kind of giving me more and more responsibility every year. To By the time I was a senior, I like met with them once a month. <laughs> I was really in charge of my education. And I couldn't believe at college orientation, they were saying, you know, parents check in on your kids. And I was like, what do you mean parents? We're all adults here. <laughs> but it will give your kids a, a huge leg up if they've got that practice going in. And just to go back to something we said earlier, if kids are taking online classes, just Mm -hmm. resist the urge to intervene. If they tell you they need an extension, say, talk Mm -hmm. to your professor, Mm -hmm. talk to your teacher. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me. Um, Just get yourself out of that position. Yeah. All right. Last thing before we do our subject by subject overview. Um, And this is just something that most people don't think about. Start collecting letters of recommendation when your kid is probably junior Um, Mm -hmm. in high school. Here's what I mean by that. If your kid takes an online course, a community college course, works with a tutor, does something that's significant with another qualified teacher, if they got something out of that course, if they got along well with the teacher, ask the teacher at the end of the course to write a recommendation on the spot. Mm -hmm. If you come back to them, and again, I'm speaking as someone with a lot of teaching experience, if you come back to them next year, with the best will in the world, they're not yeah. going to remember details about the student. They're just, right. they just, you know, we, we just don't have the brain space. Ask them for a recommendation. Tell them you, you want to put it on file for college admissions applications. Tell them that you need an open letter so that they know mm-hmm. that you're going to read it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't feel like they can give it, that's absolutely not a problem. If mm-hmm. they do give it, it's really nice to send them like cookies or mm-hmm. muffins or something just as a thank you. Because <laughs> writing a writing a, a recommendation right. takes it takes brain power. To, it's, right. it's work. It's work to do. But collect those and put them in a file so that when you when you put together that college application, you don't have to suddenly think, OK, who do I who do I need to contact? Will they remember my student? Right. What's the deadline? Are they going to have time to do it? That's just stress that you can let right. go 
go of by preparing ahead of time. Right. I wish I had that tip when I was in high school. I loved putting together my application. I could pull this. I could pull that. I could write that. But then I got to recommendations. is like, I can't control this. And I don't know where to go. Mom can't write me a recommendation. Dad can't write me a recommendation. And I haven't taken an online class for a long time. So that is an awesome tip to keep in yeah. mind. Well, and and remember, if you ask for it when as soon as the kid has done the course, you're mm-hmm. avoiding what I would call the <laughs> recommendation hell, which mm-hmm. is, again, as a college teacher, there are certain times of the year when all of a sudden 25 different students are asking mm. you to write a recommendation. And it's right. very hard at that point to make them sound sincere and personalized right. and genuine because right. you, you just, you're just really struggling to get it done. So yes, think recommendation. Awesome. All right. So we have been talking for a while. Let's move into our wrap up. We've talked about classical education in the rhetoric years, and oftentimes classical courses look a little different than a traditional course. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go through really quick and kind of talk about how do I align that classical course with a high school transcript. Right. So let's start with language arts. Any rhetoric and composition courses are simply a language arts course. Students will probably also be doing a literature course, which is another language arts course. So it's really typical. High school students generally end up with two language arts credits most years Mm -hmm. because they're taking composition and then they're also taking literature. Grammar also counts towards language arts. Um, So if it's a combined grammar and composition course, that's fine. So grammar and composition, one language arts credit. Literature, one language arts credit. If your student is doing a great books course, I would list that as world literature. Mm -hmm. World literature one, world literature two. At some point, if they have read the classics of American literature, I would pull that out and list it on the transcript as American literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just even if they did it in the same year as world mm-hmm. literature, as long as you're making sure that they have put in the appropriate number of hours for each credit, I think it can be useful for the college admissions officer to look at the transcript and see, yes, they did actually do American literature. That's just that a, makes sense. Yeah. a reality of, of admissions. Same thing with history. If you're doing just If you're doing a world history course, list that as world history. If you do two years of a world history course during which the student does world history and American history combined, because Mm -hmm. you're doing what we recommend in The Well-Trained Mind and studying the history all around the world, I would, on the transcript, list world history one and American history. American history is one of those things that they're going to look for on the transcript Mm because it's a requirement in most states. So again, if you did over two years you did a study of world history that included American history. You mm-hmm. explain that in your portfolio. On the transcript, you put world history, one credit, American history, one credit, to make sure that they just check that box. You may prefer to just do a more traditional U.S. history and U.S. government cycle instead mm-hmm. of maintaining the four-year history cycle. But if you do want to keep that four-year history cycle, just make sure that on the transcript, it reflects the fact that they have studied those foundational American history events. Same is true of American government. I actually think it's probably simplest for most families to just schedule a one-semester. U.S. government is really just a one-semester course. Mm-hmm. Um, just get a U.S. government textbook, go through it, enroll them in a course and just do it. If you follow the outline that we have in the Well-Trained Mind, you do go through all of the founding documents of American government. Mm-hmm. So that is actually covered. And here again, though, you would need to break it out on the transcript because whoever's looking for did this kid finish high school is looking for the words American government on mm-hmm. the transcript. Right. That makes sense. Again, and then you explain in your portfolio, we did this as part of an integrated history study. 
absolutely not a problem. Science, just make sure you keep an eye on that lab component. Uh, states generally have been moving towards more lab requirements. Gotcha. Two is probably the minimum that you want to aim for. So whatever science course you're doing, a lot of online courses now have a lab component. Certainly community colleges do. Look for two. Three is probably safer, but definitely mm -hmm. look for two. And then the foreign language requirement. This will be my last soapbox. <laughs> if your student does not have access to regular conversation with a native speaker, they will not learn how to speak the language. Right. It just doesn't happen. If that's the case, I would highly recommend doing Latin, Greek, or Hebrew, mm -hmm. which are languages that you read. Right. If you do have access to a native speaker and a way for the student to practice, that's the language you should do. Mm -hmm. Just because you're doing classical education. I've had so many parents come up to me and say, well, I really want to do Latin, but my husband speaks Spanish. And I'm like, <laughs> do Spanish. Why are you asking yeah. me this question? Right. Um, do the language that they have easy access to practice right. for. Don't panic if it's hard to get that language requirement in. A lot of students end up doing it in college. You have mm -hmm. to do it before you could finish college, but mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to have it in order to have a competitive college application. Oh, mathematics. I forgot I had a thing to say about math. Um, the high school, the three high school required high school courses are Algebra 1, Geometry, and Algebra 2, usually taken in that order. If your student is a little slower on the developmental side and doesn't get to pre-algebra until ninth grade, that's absolutely fine, but you can't give high school credit for pre-algebra even if it's taken in high school, because mm -hmm. it is just not considered a high school level course. On the other hand, if your student takes Algebra 1 in eighth grade, you can give credit, high school credit for that, because the assumption is that they're covering the same amount of material that a ninth grader would be covering. It's right. Algebra 1. It's the same for everybody. Four other courses, if a student takes it in seventh or eighth grade, even if it is high school level, mm -hmm. I hate to tell you this, but you shouldn't give a high school credit for it unless you can show some outside proof by way of probably AP or CLEP mm -hmm. um, that it was indeed a high school course. Because the assumption is simply, with the exception of Algebra 1, the right. assumption is simply that they're going to be working on a lower level. That makes sense. Awesome. Well, thanks for that wrap up of all those subjects. That's super helpful. And I think that is all of our time for today. But before you go, remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on classical education, home education, school education, or any kind of education that interests you. You can reach us at podcast at welltrainedmind.com. Mm -hmm.